Meet a woman who's broken down barriers in the railroad industry, but that's far from all she's done. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Editor-in-Chief of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Roquita Coleman-Williams is my guest on the show today. As a woman of color, she carved out a pioneering role in the rail industry, working for the Canadian National Railway in sales and marketing and, along the way, becoming a certified train conductor. She also boasts logistics experience with UPS, is a management consultant, an executive coach, a public speaker, and author of a book on empowering women in the workforce. We're going to talk about her remarkable career, her views on diversity in the rail industry and the business world at large, and her personal philosophy of life. I'm certain that you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Here is Roquita Coleman-Williams. Roquita Williams, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, Roquita, in addition to your pioneering role in the rail industry, you've launched multiple brands, you've acted as a marketing consultant to small businesses, you're an author, apparently some kind of a fitness guru, and a TEDx speaker, so I'm having a hard time <laughs> figuring out where to start with you here, but I think I want to start with the rail business, and I would love it if you would trace for me your history in that industry. How did you get started? How did it even become a glimmer of interest to you? Good way to start. I've been in the rail industry for 13 years. Um, I started my career nearly 23 years ago. It's, every time I say that out loud, it seems nearly impossible. Um, oh, that's nothing for some of us. Years ago. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> in transportation, working for UPS. And mm. I had a pretty progressive career. And one snowy day, I received a call from a recruiter that at the time, the Canadian National Railroad was expanding their business and really shifting to a focus on end-to-end supply chain. Rather than having a sole focus on carload business, they wanted to bring a more collaborative process to railroading. And and they thought the best way to do that is to reach outside of that rail bubble and bring people in who had experience selling supply chain solutions to customers. So I was recruited to the Canadian National Railroad from UPS, and that's where I got my start. Selling mm-hmm. transload and warehousing and trucking solutions to CN's top 100 customer. So when you were with UPS, you were actually involved in, in sales and rail then. You had some knowledge of the industry then too, right? I would have to admit that I didn't. To the extent that I understood rail was, I knew that a portion of UPS's business that crossed the border into Canada that CN was one of the major carriers, and I knew that BNSF and UP supported traffic coming out of major markets in the Midwest, going into, say, for California or Colorado. So I knew that the common carrier industry had a dependence on railroads to optimize our network, but that was about all I knew about railroading. You learned fast, I take it? <laughs> you had to pick it up pretty quickly well, coming was, in with the CN. I have an MBA, and I thought that that was tough. There were few things are as challenging as it was getting over the learning curve between how transportation companies like UPS and FedEx operate and how 
companies like the CN and CP, BNSF, and NS uh, work, especially when you start talking about schedule or precision railroading. So it was a pretty big learning curve for me. As well as for CN, in addition to that, if you're saying that they wanted to broaden their coverage to end-to-end, normally a railroad wouldn't even deal directly with underlying shippers. They go through shippers' agents or they go with car loads and boxcars and stuff. But it sounds to me like you're saying that the company was undertaking something quite innovative for a railroad at the time and that you were invited to be part of that. Absolutely. A, getting closer to the customer and understanding not only your customer but your customer's customer, so that the front line of that supply chain, having a deep understanding of that and understanding how we could be enablers in that process. And that meant looking at the sourcing of goods, Mm -hmm. how we could partner, for example, with ocean carriers, how we could partner at ports to make sure that once goods came into the port that they moved seamlessly on a scheduled railroading basis. And then when they got to door, that our truck drivers were, in fact, delivering those goods, be they consumer goods for the warehousing or retail market, or what we call more rail-centric product that would move rail from door to door. When you went out of the world in this new job with this message, was it generally accepted by shippers, or were they dubious about a railroad's attempt to do what you say CN wanted to do? I was a, a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest. Most customers were very responsive to the fact that the railroad wanted to build a a partnership. And that building of a true partnership was very well received, especially when you start looking at the top 100 customers. So we're looking at the companies are major industrial products, metals and minerals, petrochemicals. Those customers were very receptive to seeing being a part of that supply chain. But there were other companies, for example, on the intermodal side, they were a little bit more resistant. They had an established model for how they did business. And the idea, perhaps, of taking business from the rail and moving it in, say, transloading it into a container at the port and then trucking it all the way inland, there was a little bit of resistance to that. That piece of it took some time to help the customer see how we could co-create value together. That was not an easy sale. But fortunately, I spent 13 years with CN doing that type of work for in one way or another, whether it was focused on transloading and trucking or freight forwarding, or customs brokerage. The majority of my career with CN was spent doing that type of work. So I would say it Mm -hmm. it was core to the successes that we've seen over the years, and some of the other railroads have adapted those philosophies as well. Just to be clear, did that put you kind of in direct competition with traditional intermodal marketing companies, or was there a way in which CN was also reaching out to them to work with them? No. I wouldn't say there was ever a time when we were in competition with that because we really respected the channel partnerships and we respected the role of IMC in that. What we wanted is to help companies to optimize their supply chain. So you did see more competition with bringing traffic off of truck. Mm-hmm. That was an area that we were really, really focused on and making sure that companies have the opportunity to move rail when rail was feasible for their supply chain. Over a certain distance, certainly. I mean, the intermodal service is justified economically by X number of miles it has to go. But again, you were able to sell that message, especially when truck drivers are so hard to find these days and team driving is such a difficulty. I would imagine that was part of your message as a great alternative to shippers, right? Yeah, it's a good alternative and, and having one, a single partner from beginning to end, having one person to yell at, so to speak, if something goes mm-hmm. wrong and there's a disruption, having one party to be accountable to. And at the time, I didn't realize how innovative that was for a railroad. 
because common carriers have been working that way for a lot of years. For in the rail environment, that was a very innovative way of thinking, and it's been very successful for some of the Class 1 railroads who shifted to that end-to-end supply chain type of philosophy. Have I got this right? Do you actually have experience conducting a train? <laughs> so you can see I bore it pretty easily, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd put it that a, way. But. That, I, that I bore easily and that I have a bit of a, not commitment, but I am a compulsive achievement-oriented person. I do. I, I am definitely achievement-oriented. But in this respect, it was something a little bit more crucial than that. What I found is just kind of naturally being a woman in this space, I was called on regularly to speak on behalf of opportunities for women, not because Mm -hmm. I have an HR background or I know anything about diversity and inclusion, but by sheer fact that I was in this industry and thriving. So I was being called on to represent the industry and, and opportunities for women. And I felt a little uneasy having those conversations, considering my experience was limited to commercial sales and marketing. I wanted to be able to speak authentically about the opportunities for women. And I don't think there was anything that does that better than having that frontline experience. That was one. The Mm -hmm. second part of it is that railroaders are a tough bunch to integrate with. I mean, there is a culture there and you have to respect the culture. And the culture is about grit and hard work, no matter where you are in the organization or how high up in the organization you are, even your background experiences or your education, when it comes to railroading, grit matters. And I truly Mm -hmm. wanted to integrate with the culture. I wanted to have that sense of belonging, and I wanted to understand what drives this industry and why it is that organically we're the way way that we are. And so having that frontline experience did it. CN had a railroad conductor program for managers. I talked to my leadership team. They supported the program. And so I spent nearly a year becoming qualified as a conductor. Wow. And so you got on the train at some point and actually did it. That must have been fun, I would imagine. Probably nerve-wracking and fun yeah. at the same time. <laughs> it's intimidating. It's intimidating. Fortunately, CN puts a lot of emphasis on safety. Safety is a core value. Like many other railroads, safety is a core value. We want our people to, to do the work that they have to do safely, and we want them to get home to their families. And so there was an effort to make sure that I could do the work, but that I could do it safely. But it's intimidating when you start getting out there and you're seeing knuckles break and you have to replace a knuckle or calculate how many handbrakes need to be tied. It's pretty intimidating work if that's not what you do full time. I have a considerable amount of respect for what our conductors and our crews do day in and day out. Did that respect go both ways when you first got on a train to do this? Did you have guys saying, what the hell are you doing here as a woman? Or do you feel like you were accepted? They were a little suspicious. Once they saw that I was out there with well-intentioned, that I wasn't there to, to look over their shoulders and tell them how to do their job, but to really have an understanding, it was well-received. I had some fantastic talks. You spend 12 hours with crews and Gosh, the thing that you learn and understand about people is just so deeply fascinating, why they're motivated to do the work that they do, their care and concern and commitment to the rail industry. That is absolutely inspiring. It moved over into how I related to my customers. And when challenges happened, I feel like I had a more insider information that I could provide customers to help them understand the context in which these challenges happen. 
but also yeah. to be sort of a bridge between the needs of our customers and how it is we do the work that we do. And I, and I think that being a bridge is a commitment that I've had mm-hmm. since I did that work back in 2016. Now, I'm wondering, though, you mentioned that you were kind of put out there as, as a face to demonstrate a commitment to bringing more women into this industry. Did you feel like you were the face of a sincere commitment? Was there ever a moment where you felt like there was a bit of tokenism there that maybe, look it, we hired a woman, <laughs> we're, we're doing great? Do you feel like the industry really does want to bring more women into this? I, I really appreciate that question. I feel like most leadership teams that I have worked for have had a genuine commitment for diversity. I believe, though, that it is not something that can be done with haste, and it is certainly not something that can be done through initiatives, so to speak. That it, it has to come from the values of the organization and making sure that those values are aligned. That's, that's where you get the sustained effort. There were moments where I felt like I could be a token. But to be honest, those feelings come more from my own background and experiences than from anything that was coming from out in the market. What kind of support did you have as you advanced through this industry? Did you have mentors? Did you have people who inspired you along the path? Yeah, I've had some fantastic mentors and some that were mentors and role models for me, perhaps even from a distance. I look at folks like Kelly Levis, at CN, and I think just a remarkable, remarkable businesswoman. She also went out and did the work to become conductor certified when she was based in the U.S., and ultimately she moved to Canada. And I look at her career, I look at Rosanna Carcamo, who's also with CN uh, as a director. And these women were sharp and savvy, but they also showed that, look, when we need the team to come together and get things done, we're going to get things done. So I can really appreciate that there is space, there is room being made for female leadership. Now, where things get a bit challenging, I'm a black woman. And as a black woman, it does represent a little bit more difficulty developing those relationships at the levels of the company that need to be developed in order to have have advancement. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, you can perform your way to the middle. You can deliver results and get yourself to a solid middle management, uh, upper management role in the railroad. But once you get past that, it is based on relationships and it is based on trust. Senior leaders want people on their team that they have worked directly with that they trust. And if women of color or other people of color aren't already in those spaces, building those deep relationships is very, very difficult. It's very difficult. You simply don't have access to that inner circle. And every railroad, in fact, does have an inner circle. But it's also a question, isn't it, where do you even start? Where do you go to find the pool of diverse labor? Because the railroad industry, like many transportation modes, have traditionally gone to the same places, and those are the places of white men. They're educated a certain way. They come from a certain place. They don't even look to where they might find a more diverse staff. So... How do you even begin the process of drawing more people in, like widening your net when you're looking for potential candidates to come into the industry in the first place? Yeah, well, some people think it's a pipeline issue. I would say the issue is not one of a pipeline, but a leadership. You simply have to choose 
diverse leaders. It has mm-hmm. to happen at the top of the organization. People at the middle have to be able to see themselves reflected in the leadership team. So that has to happen first. I think there is an opportunity to look at less at rail background and experience and instead look at industries that build similar values or industries that have similar cultures. Traditionally, the job process has been, have you worked in the same environment that I have worked in? Does that line up? And I think in order to achieve the level of diversity that we need to truly thrive, we'll have to reconsider how we source labor, how we source people, and instead look less at one another. I'll pick somebody from UP to go to this company. I'll pick somebody from BN to go to this company, and it just you just kind of move around. Instead, we'll have to go outside of the railroad industry completely and pick people, A, that have the experience and whose values align with our own, and B, look at industries that naturally seem to cultivate those sort of values. So we have yeah. to get real clear on what are the values that we want to see in this industry, And what other spaces can we go in to pull leaders in from those other spaces? Yeah, they're going to have to come from other spaces, as far as I can see, because there's just not that many in the rail industry specifically. Do you, though, feel, and you say it has to come from the top, certainly that is the case, but do you sometimes feel, whether fairly or unfairly, that a certain amount of the burden of responsibility falls on your shoulders to turn around and then mentor people coming up in turn? be the inspiration for those women and women of color who come up and are looking for opportunities and you're there to help them in a way that maybe no one was there to help you. Oh, absolutely. So I will say this. It was never my goal to be a face of a railroad. <laughs> that, was never, <laughs> that was never my goal. I didn't wake up and be like, you know what, I want to be famous for being a railroader. What I wanted was to be able to just let other people who had a similar background as mine know, hey, Here is an untapped industry. I grew up in a very poor community in Memphis. It has the lowest economic mobility in the country. That's improving, but that was the circumstances under which I came in. And I simply wanted to go back and reach into those spaces and see little girls and boys who look like me and say, hey, guys, if you go to school, if you get your education, if you have integrity as you walk through this world, build a good reputation for yourself and be clear about who you are and what you believe in, there is an opportunity Mm -hmm. for you to move into an industry like mine. These are good jobs that are often not, I didn't grow up in a community with people who said, you know, one day I want to work for a railroad, not a single person. I think maybe someone had an uncle of an uncle of an uncle who may have worked as a carman at the railroad, but we had very little, little knowledge or access to, because those jobs, all I wanted to do was to just to go back into the community and let them know that this was a possibility and to work with yeah. the university on how to educate kids so that they could consider roles on jobs in the railroad. But because there were so few women and so few people of color in predominant roles at the railroad, it just kind of happened that I was asked so often. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly in my market, Uh, Miss Railroad Lady, people are literally calling my personal phone asking me about the CSA train that keeps blocking them off the tracks when they're trying to get to class in the morning. I'm like, I have nothing to do (laughs) with the train (laughs) that traps you or keeps you, makes you late for for class every day. And so it just kind of happened that way. But the mentorship becomes a responsibility of that. That becomes Mm -hmm. an extension of it. And it's a lot of work. 
It's a lot of work, but it is a responsibility that we do have to one another in order to be able to contribute to the level of diversity that the industry needs. As if that weren't enough on your plate, I assume you continue your parallel efforts and initiatives in consulting and marketing and writing and yoga and TEDx and stuff like that. I mean, is all that stuff still going? No, no. No? I I reached it. (laughs) No No. time for that? I can't do it. Well, what happened is maybe seven or eight years ago, I did really reach a space in my career where I felt I've done all the performing I can do. And whether I can advance in this industry really isn't a matter of my performance anymore. It really is a matter of me being able to have access to that circle that I don't have access to. And so what do I do? I have choices. I can either choose to blow up a career in railroading and go do something else in another industry completely, or I can figure out what is it I'm passionate about, what opportunities do I have to serve a greater good, and what can I do that has purpose besides my paycheck. So at the end of the day, it's my responsibility not to hold my employer hostage to my dream. And some of those projects grew out of that. It grew out of me saying, do I want to be a railroader? Yes. Do I want to come to work mad at someone else because I'm not getting what I want from the railroad. Absolutely not. So what is it that you really want, Roquita? What you want is to be able to be a part of a change. What it is you want is to be a connector and a communicator. And how else can you do that? And there are other ways to do that other than becoming a vice president of a commercial team. There are other ways to do that. So if you're going to choose to stay in this industry, then do it. Do it with a positive attitude. Give your all, but create outlets for yourself so that you can do that sustainably. And so the book Mm -hmm. project, that was my way of saying, okay, I want to impact women. I want to help women tell their stories. Doing yoga just keeps me alive. That just keeps (laughs) me alive. And for some reason, someone thought it was interesting that a woman in the rail industry also happened to be 5'2 and 130 pounds and a a little person that did yoga thought that was an interesting concept. So some of this stuff is just a matter of what do I need to do in order to to be a whole person and not to hold any employer or even the industry hostage to me. At a certain point, there can be a bit of entitlement. You work in the industry long enough and you just expect it to accommodate you. And I've chosen as a leader not to be that person. I've chosen to be the person that's always asking how I can bring value to the table. And when I can no longer bring value to the table, then I need to take a pause and figure out, have some awareness around myself instead of trying to force the industry to accommodate me, because that's just not going to happen. Can I mention the book anyway? <laughs> you can mention the book anyway. You can mention it, absolutely. Storialities, a collection Story of stories by empowering women to empower women. I'd like to link to that in the show notes to this show, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. The proceeds of Story Alley's fully go to a nonprofit, the Women's Foundation of Greater Memphis. The Women's Foundation's mission is the reduction of poverty in 38126, and that happens to be the zip code that I was born into. Those proceeds go directly back to that community to support women and children in that community. Roquita Williams, I have really enjoyed this conversation, hearing your story, hearing what it's like to be in the rail industry and all the other stuff you've done in your life, and your personal philosophy of life, too, which is so fascinating and so compelling. Thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me.
That was my conversation with rail industry pioneer Roquita Coleman-Williams. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. Stay well, and see you next time.